The following audio is from Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com. Well, let me invite you to take your copy of God's Word and open with me to Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to begin a section that is crucial in Ephesians 5, dealing with husbands and wives, hence the screen that you see, Holy Ever After. It's a play on words that most of the time you hear happily ever after, but you'll see as we walk through this that God's intention for marriage is not necessarily to make us happy, but to make us holy. And ultimately, that will make us happy in Him. So this is what we'll start today, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through 33. Before I read the text, marriage is hard work. Any married people in the room would attest to that? Yep. This does not mean that it's not romantic. There are moments of, of romance and there are moments of just sweet bliss, but to go into marriage thinking that it is not a, a, a calling and a work is to mislead yourself. It is indeed hard work. Most people, though, uh, if they have not been married or they're coming into marriage or hope to come into marriage someday, even if you are married today, perhaps you came into marriage with certain expectations. Some of those were reasonable. Others weren't, Right? Some of those you came in and, and you, qu- you quickly realized that your expectations were uh, false or misguided or, or, or whatever the case may be. I think before I read the passage, there are at, l- at least three different places that we get these expectations from. Let me spend some time and just develop this a little bit. First, we get expectations about marriage from movies and television. This is obvious. We, we see movies and television, and I've, I've spoken about my, my, my love-hate relationship with the Hallmark Channel uh, pretty often, but uh, in all these movies and TV shows, um, women are oftentimes led to fantasize about Prince Charming, right? About this knight on a shining horse that's going to come in and, and rescue them. He's probably wearing some sort of uniform, whether he be a fireman, or he be a, a SWAT officer, if you watch some of the, the evening programming. Or perhaps maybe he even might be in an early 1900s Canadian Mountie for When Calls the Heart. Uh, Amanda's chuckling because that's her show apparently. Right, Amanda? Yes. All right, I hit you there. Or perhaps maybe the, the impression that you get and the expectation that you have for marriage is not this Prince Charming or whatever the case may be. Perhaps it's the other side. No matter how wonderful your man was in the beginning, he'll wind up as a 13-year-old in a 40-year-old body at some point. That's kind of the impression that a lot of our media, our movies, our television gives us. That he loves sports and video games and his buddies. He may even love those things more than you. He would say, I love pizza and I love my wife in the same sentence. It's hard to get him to do anything around the house. Even if you could, you'll probably, you'd probably regret asking him because his skills aren't that great and he might just make a mess of things and you'll have to call somebody anyway. We get these expectations because this is what the media would love to do to men. That they're either this hero or they are this zero. And there's really not a lot of in-between. We get our expectations oftentimes not only from movies and TV shows, but from the dating experience itself. If, the reasoning goes like this. If the dating period was particularly wonderful, then 
Why would 24 hours a day, seven days a week, until death do us part, not be all the much better? Right? I mean, you had no fights. This is what I often hear from people. I mean, we never fight. To which I want to say, just wait. Or I hear things like, you know, his jokes are so funny. He always makes me laugh. Or I hear things like, she always looks so good. Now, the married people in the room, are these real expectations? No. You're chuckling at this moment because you realize that sooner or later, there's going to be this this woman that wakes up and she has not put her makeup on yet and she has not done her hair and she may be in sweatpants that have some sort of unidentifiable stain on them. And all of a sudden, this woman that you said, oh, she always looks so good, you don't recognize her. Am I right? And this man who was always so funny and he always made you laugh, all of a sudden, it's all the time. Right? And you don't have a turnoff switch for it. And you may find yourself asking, was he always this immature? Right? Things, that, things will get on your nerves and you will have fights. And to everyone in the room, whether you are married or hope to be married one day, that's okay. You will get on one of those nerves and you will have fights because guess what? You are both sinful people. When you were dating, you could get away, but now there's nowhere for you to go. And these are the expectations that come from the dating experience itself. There is a third place where we get these expectations from that I think is pretty crucial and probably weighs more in on what we expect than than maybe the other two, and that is what we witnessed from our own parents when we were growing up. Your experience watching your parents was either something that you felt like that needs to be duplicated or that should never be duplicated. That's really what, we're, what many of you have seen. I'll, I'll just get personal with you for a minute. My wife, I asked her if I could share this. My wife, uh, her parents were married up until she was 16 years old. She's in high school. At 16 years old, her parents got divorced, which is what a lot of children and teenagers have to, have to go through. Well, at 17 years old, they remarried one another. At 18 years old, in her senior year of high school, they divorced one another once again. And after that, they dated one another. In fact, when I met her in college, they were dating one another. The fir- very first weekend, I was with my now wife of, of, uh, of several years, 22, uh, just so you know, I know the number. Uh, it's going to be 23 this, this summer. Uh, but when I first met her, her parents were dating. And this was such an odd roller coaster for my wife to go through. And don't you think that when her and I were going through this issue of considering whether or not we would tie the knot to one another, I was concerned about this. Is this going to be a pattern that might be repeated? She probably had concerns of, do I even want to go down this road of marriage if this is where it ends up? Maybe you have never experienced divorce. Your parents have stayed together. They've been married. But... I mean, you know they love one another, but if you just watch them and look for affection, you'd never know it. Because they never hug one another. They never hold hands. God forbid they never kiss. I can remember as a child, my younger sister found out that, uh, that my parents still held hands and kissed one another on a regular basis. 
And it was such a shock to us. And I remember talking to my little sister going, no way, you're kidding me. Mom's lying to you, right? And maybe that's your experience. It was just this kind of a, um, you knew they loved one another, but it was sterile. And, and maybe that's not what you want. Let me just say to the married people in the room, it's okay for you to show affection to one another. In fact, it's probably necessary. It's probably good for your kids to see you be affectionate with one another so that they understand a level of godly love between a husband and wife. Maybe, though, you saw these things from your parents. Maybe it was the other side of things. Your parents, it wasn't something that you never wanted to repeat, but it was exactly what you wanted to repeat. Maybe you grew up with parents who you knew they loved one another, and they showed it all the time, and you almost at times said, a little less, mom and dad, please, right? You knew that they served one another, they loved one another, they fought fairly, they talked, and even they, they, they even continued to date one another. And these have helped to shape and form expectations for you. I realize that in this sermon today, I'm probably not hitting everybody. In this passage, I'm not going to hit everybody. But there are very few passages where I do. God in His sovereignty and His providence has brought us to this passage and we must deal with this issue. Our expectations may be faulty. They may even be categorized as lies if we were to look backwards at them. They come from all these different sources, but I'm here to say to you, wouldn't it be so much better if we got our expectations about marriage and romantic love, not from movies and television or, or from the dating experience or for watching someone else, what if we got our expectations from God's Word? Wouldn't that be so much better? And that's, I think, what God is doing here is He's showing us in this passage over the next couple of sermons from this place. He's going to show us these different roles and relationships within the marriage relationship so that our marriages can be not happily ever after. That may be a byproduct, but so that they might be holy ever after. So if you will, follow along with me as I read chapter 5, verse 22 through 33. The Word of God says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should, should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her having cleansed her with, by the washing of water with the Word, so that He might present the church to Himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church." because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Now, before I dig in, I want to tell you what we're going to do in this passage today. 
I listened to a couple of sermons from this passage of pastors that I respect, and each of those sermons was over an hour in length. I don't want to do that to you today. So I'm going to break this passage up into two, and to do that, it makes sense that I would give first a word to wives, because that's where what comes first in our passage, and then come back at another sermon and give a word to husbands. Here's what I don't want to happen. Wives, I don't want you to leave here angry. I don't want you to hear me say things to you and say, that pastor, I thought I liked him, but now I don't, and I will never go back. I'm asking you to table that and, and give me a chance to come back and preach the second half of this passage because I assure you, your husbands may feel the same way when I get to them. The other thing, the other side of this is husbands, this is not going to be for you an opportunity to leave this place and hear something that you wish the scriptures said and take it as an abuse against your wife. We will balance it by reading what, is, what God calls you to as well, but there is a danger here for one to hear the other without hearing the full counsel here on this issue. Perhaps you're not married. Perhaps you hope to one day be married. Maybe you're a child here today. You're a teenager. You've got parents who are married. Whatever the case may be, this is also for you. To those who will one day be married, you hope to be married, file this away. Let this be a word to you in these days where you are waiting so that you might have a marriage one day that is holy ever after. So, that being said, a word to the wives. We start with this question. The, the elephant in the room is the word submit. I have done weddings where in the vows that word was there and I've, I've, had, I've had the prospective wife ask to remove that from the vows. But it is biblical. So we understand, we, we, the question that must come to mind is, what does it mean? What does it mean to submit? What does it really mean? Surely it doesn't mean that. That's what maybe some are saying. I mean, isn't the Bible simply advocating for this mutual submission between husband and wife? There's, there's not one submitting over to the other one. It's just this mutual submission. In fact, you can go back to verse 21 where Paul there ends that section, perhaps setting up the next section, and he says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And some will use that and say, he's not calling for wives exclusively to submit to husbands. He's calling here for this mutual submission within the body of Christ. Is that really what he's saying? Is this something that was relevant in Paul's day, but it's not really that relevant in ours. It's kind of in the rear view and it no longer pertains to us. This is outdated language and if we stick with this, then we are old-fashioned and we are really out of the, the will of God. Is that what's happening here? Is this perhaps maybe Paul's own opinion and he is left off from, from the divine inspiration of the Spirit of God in, in the writing of Scripture and he's just left off from that and now he's, he's going off on a tangent sharing his own opinion? That's what some would believe. I think we will get to the answer of what does submit really mean by looking at this little word in verse 23. Head. What does the Bible mean when it uses this word head? When it says there in verse 23, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. What does it mean? 
Well, let me give you just some ways that the Bible is using this. I think clearly Paul has in mind authoritative leadership. That, he's, that, that the husband has been placed into a position of authority and leadership over his wife, just as Christ has over his church. Let me give you some examples of where this is used. Judges 11, 11 says, So Jephthah went with the elders of Gilead, and the people made him head and leader over them. Ephesians 1, 22, in this book itself, He put all things under His feet and gave Him as head over all things to the church. There clearly, in that reference, in that context, Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is pointing to headship being leadership, a position of authority. And that's what we see there in verse 23 when it says, the husband's the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. If we read that and we say, well, I don't believe that anymore. I don't think the husband, I don't think God would have that anymore. I don't think he would put the husband as head or authoritative leader over the wife. I don't think he means that. If we're going to question that and begin to throw that out, then we've got to go all the way through that verse. And if we say, well, no longer is the husband the authoritative leader of the wife, then maybe no longer Christ is the authoritative leader of the church. To which I would ask you the question this morning, are you willing to go that far? Because I'm not. I don't want to pastor a church where some earthly person who is sinful and broken is calling the shots. Christ is the authoritative leader and we submit to Him. But I think Paul also has in mind not just authoritative leadership, but also servant leadership. And this is where it really begins to make sense. We'll see this in that next sermon when we look at the responsibility that men are called to. But I want you to notice in, in not only Ephesians 5, 22-33, but also in chapter 6, 1-4, and chapter 6, 5-9, through, through 9, that Paul doesn't, he's not removing authority. He's not saying this no longer means authority. He's not removing it. In fact, he addresses these things and asks them to, to submit, to obey in all of these different categories. Wives to husbands, children to parents, employees to their employers. He doesn't remove authority, he just redefines it in light of the sacrifice of Christ. He calls us to servants. Wives, he calls you to respond to and submit to this servant authoritative leadership of your husband. If we go back to the objection that we started with, well, surely it doesn't mean that, Pastor. Surely it doesn't really mean to submit. My question to you would be, well, why not? I mean, doesn't this degrade women as somehow lesser than men? I don't think so. And let me give you a couple of, a couple of reasons here. God has created both man and woman. And He's created them to be equal in dignity. He does, not, he does not view a man or a woman to be different in their worth. He looks at them as equally to be children of, of God, His own creation. He redeems men and women equally. He's created them equal in dignity, but He has created them distinct in their roles. I realize that this is very much one, a sermon that would not be approved in our culture today. But I think this is what the Bible teaches. 
that God has created men and women equal in dignity, dignity, but distinct in their duty, in their roles. We see this in our passage when we learn that as Christ relates to the church, the husband is the head of the wife. And vice versa, as the church relates to Christ, the wife is the helper to her husband. These are roles that were given. Doesn't, doesn't God Himself within the Trinity subject Himself also model for us submission? 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3 says, But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ... The head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. Would we ever say that somehow Jesus is less God than the Father? No, we understand here that the Bible teaches the, the Trinity that, that the Father, Son, and the Spirit are equally God, but they are distinct, not, not, they, they, they're not the other person. But if it's not an offense for Jesus to submit Himself to the will of the Father, we saw this last week as we talked about Him in the garden pleading, if there's another way, let this cup pass from Me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but Your will be done, Father. If it's not an offense to the Son of God to submit Himself to the Father, then wives, I would submit to you that it is not an offense for you to submit yourself to your husband. Which takes us to another question. Well, how? Exactly how am I supposed to submit to my husband, wives might say. Well, I want to give you four. And I want to jot these down. They're in our text. And I'll just run through them. First, voluntarily. Wives, you are to submit to your husband voluntarily. Verse 22, this particular verb tense that's used here when it says, wives, submit yourself to your husband, the particular verb tense emphasizes the voluntary nature of your submission. What this brings out for us is that this is not to be coerced. You are not to be dominated into this thing. You are free to make a decision to submit to your husband or to not submit to your husband. This is how God works. Isn't this how He works in so many of the commands that He gives to us? That he's, he, doesn't, he doesn't hold us captive and say, you will, but He says, obey me. If you love me, you will obey me. And He doesn't say here to, to men, if your wife is not submitting to you, then you need to take care of that and dominate her and bring her to the point of submission. Men, The Bible never calls for anything like that. To a man that would use force or to use words to abuse his wife, to bring her to submission, he is in sin and he needs to repent. Wives, I would say to you, your submission here is voluntary. There's a little phrase here at the end of verse 22 that says, as to the Lord. Sometimes, wives, this is the only motivation that maybe you might have. Maybe, maybe your husband, he's not leading you. You wish he would, but he's not leading you. Maybe there's some other stuff going on, but you know that you're called to this submission and you say, even though I can't necessarily, I just, I just can't follow his leadership, I'm going to submit to him as if I'm submitting to the Lord. And this is what the Bible calls you to Listen to one one commentator, Peter O'Brien, in his commentary said it this way. As she is subordinate to her husband, 
So in that very action, she is submitting to the Lord. Her voluntary response is not called for because of her role in society, nor is it to be understood as, a separate, as separate from her submission to Christ. Rather, it is part and parcel of the way she serves the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a voluntary act of worship, wives, for you to submit yourself to your husband and say, God wants my heart, and for, me, for him to have my heart, I've got to obey him in this area. It's voluntary. Secondly, you submit to your husbands singularly, voluntarily and singularly. Verse 20 says, verse 22 says, submit yourselves to your husbands. Not to all husbands. Aren't you glad for that, ladies? It's to your husband. God is not calling you to submit to every man. He's called you to submit to your man, to your husband. And this is a good and godly thing. The church is not some commune where women are treated in some second class, chauvinistic, misogynistic, slavish way. The Bible never calls for anything near that. In fact, if the, if the Bible and the gospel and the teaching of Jesus Christ does anything, it elevates the position of women in history. That in a lot of other classes and in a lot of other times in history, women have been seen as, as indeed second class and no count. They could not, they could not voice an opinion. They, they could not vote. They could not earn a living. They could not do all these things. And they were completely dependent on a man. And Jesus comes along and, and says things like, in Christ there's neither Jew nor Gentile, male or female, slave or free. And there he's not doing away with gender, but he is saying that at the foot of the cross, the ground is completely level. And he says, while others may reject, I've come to redeem all that might put their faith in me. Your submission is to be voluntary, singular, and complete. Submit completely. Verse 24, Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Now, that's a loaded phrase. Isn't it? In everything? I mean, this is, this is hard. What do you do with this? Well, let me just give you the illustration here. As the church... We don't set limits as to, as to what God has authoritative, authority over and what He doesn't. We don't come as a church and say, God, you know, you can have this part of my life, but you can't touch this. We don't say things to God like, God, you can come and you can tell me what to do with my money, but don't tell me what to do with my time. Or vice versa. We don't say, God, you can tell me what to do with my time, but don't touch my money. We would never dream of that. We would never dream of, of coming to God and saying, God, I'll come and I'll sit in your house on Sundays and I'll worship with God's people, but don't you ever call me to leave where I am to go to a people that I don't know. We would never dream of that. And I think this is what's being pictured here. In the same way, wives are to follow their husbands completely in all areas of life. Maybe the better way to understand what this means in everything is to understand what it's not saying. So let me give you a couple of caveats. Husbands, this is not a ticket to get your wife to do things that she's not comfortable with. 
And husbands, in your minds, you're right now thinking of a particular area that I may be talking about, and that's exactly what I'm talking about. This is not an area, this is not a ticket for you to get your wives to do things that they are not comfortable with. It is not a ticket for you to coerce or to to just demand that your wife do things that are immoral or illegal. God is never going to contradict himself. He would never call wives to these things. You'll see that we are later, as we deal with it later on, you'll see that we're called to lay down our lives for our wives. That we are, we are to lay down our selfish and foolish requests in order to truly nurture and care for our brides. Christ was, was never cruel and unkind to His bride. He gave Himself up for her and He would never call us to be unkind or cruel to ours. What we do in our leading of our wives is meant to be a direct reflection of what Christ does with His church. So if Christ is not cruel and unkind to His bride, then why would we think that all of a sudden this one verse will rip it out of context and we'll say, look, God says you have to. If that's your attitude, then I would say to you again, you are in sin and you have a misunderstanding and you need to repent. Wives, the caveat for you is that you don't get a pass if your husband isn't fulfilling his responsibilities to you. I have preached this in the past and I will preach it again this way. And I've often said things like when I I run through here verses 22 through 24 and then I get to 25 through 33 and I begin to talk about how husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church, giving himself up for her. I've said things like, it would, it, it's not hard for a woman to want to submit to a man who's loving her that way. And that is true. But the Bible here says that even if he is not, even if he's not fulfilling his responsibilities to you, you are called to submit to him anyway. Now, I'm not talking about here an abusive situation. If you're in an abusive situation where you are in danger, you're in harm's way, then you need to take the necessary steps to get get help and get out of that. And it doesn't mean that marriage has to necessarily be over. There can be help and the marriage can be saved. But if you're being abused, there are ways to temporarily separate yourself from your husband so that you can indeed get help. But that's an extreme. What I'm talking about is if your husband, you just can't get him to do anything, he's just not leading you, and you're struggling to submit, and you say, well, he's not keeping up his end of the bargain, therefore I'm not going to submit to him. And the Bible calls you to submit anyway. And the reason I say this is because this submission is to be cross-shaped. If Jesus would have only gone to the cross and died in our place, if we would have kept up our end of the bargain where would we be? We would still be in our sin. We would still be doomed and headed for hell. We would have the wrath of God still coming at us because Jesus would have looked at us and said, they're not doing what you told them to do, God. Therefore, I'm not going. But God doesn't do that. Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus looks at us when we are unattractive and unworthy and he says, I will love them anyway. And wives, I think that's what he's calling you to here, is to submit to him completely. The fourth is this, respectfully. Voluntarily, singularly, completely, and respectfully. Verse 33, 
The second half of it says, However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Wives, if you're honest, sometimes it's easier for you to love your husband than it is to respect him. I think we have some wonderful men in this room, but I don't live with them 24 hours a day. They don't live with me 24 hours a day. I'd probably find out some things about them and they'd find out some things about me that they might respect me a little less and I might respect them a little less. And sometimes you know that it's a whole lot easier for you to love them than it is for you to submit to them or to respect them. But ladies, God hasn't called you to first love him. He's called you first to respect him. It's not okay, ladies. Let me just speak to you and and get as personal as I possibly can. It is not okay for you to meet with other ladies and to run your husband down, talk negatively about him, ridicule him, even if you then go home to him and make sure that he has what he needs. You say, well, I'm loving him. I'm I'm taking care of him. You are, but you are not respecting him. It It is not okay. It is never okay to criticize him in public. Now, it's okay for you to have a critical conversation with me. I'm married to a wife that, bless God, will challenge me. And I'm thankful for that. She is submissive and she is a wonderful helpmate from God. And I, I'm thankful, though, that she will at times say, I think you're missing it here. That's a good thing. This criticism in the home, in a private conversation, where it's not, it's not meant to tear the other person down, but it is meant to, to reveal and push this person toward Christ, that's not what he's talking about. I think here it is saying to us that we should, wives, you should never criticize him in public Because there you're not helping him at all. You're only doing him harm. It is not okay to call him stupid or an idiot or incapable. That's what our culture is doing to the husband and the father. And we, wives, you should not join the culture. When your husband gets mad, ladies, and you guys have a disagreement, a fight, most of the time it will be because he feels disrespected. Men in the room, we are, I think this is probably almost universally true. There's a disrespect that we feel and we then lash out and it becomes this argument. Um, what, let me just give you a couple of verses, ladies, from Proverbs here. Proverbs 21 verse 19 says, It is better to live in a desert land than with a quarrelsome and fretful woman. That's one of those verses that just is real, Right? And I think what it's saying is that when you constantly nag and disrespect your husband, that you are driving him away from you. That he'd rather give up air conditioning and TV and go on to go to live in the desert than he would be to be disrespected. That you're pushing him away with this constant disrespect. Now, I understand that sometimes you kind of have to say, somebody has to take out the garbage. Please take out the garbage, all that stuff. But what I'm talking about is beyond that where you're saying just derogatory things and you disrespect and it makes him just want to pull away from you. Proverbs 27 verse 15 says, A continual dripping on a rainy day and a quarrelsome wife are alike. A continual dripping. Does that sound a lot like waterboarding to you? 
Is that what you want to do to your husband? Is to continually disrespect him and to torture him with it? Wives, we, you are called to, to love your husband by submitting to him. To submit to his leadership voluntarily, to submit to his leadership completely, and to do so respectfully. Now some of you right now are saying things like, I'd love for my husband to lead, Pastor, but I can't get him to do anything. And you're frustrated with this sermon because you think, wow, this all sounds good if I had someone who was leading me. There are ways that I would say to you that you can help your husband begin to lead without disrespecting him. Matt Chandler said it this way, encouragement in the mouth of a woman is unbelievably powerful in the heart of a man. And that is so true. My wife comes to me and if my wife comes and says, why haven't you done this yet? And and all this, it does not make me want to jump up and serve. It does not make me want to jump up and lead. But when she'll come to me and encourage me in something, man, I just want to do anything she wants to do. I just want to bend over backwards to, to just be what she needs me to be. And wives, I think that is a better way for you to help your husband begin to lead without disrespecting him. Find things that he does well and encourage him there. This sounds elementary and practical, and, and the men in the room, this makes us sound like we are just needy, if you will. And I don't think that's the case, but wives need to understand that, that this is what I think God in some ways calls you to. That it's not, if your husband's not leading, it's not that you don't have an option, that you do have an option to help him begin to lead. You find things he does well, you encourage him there, you set him up to succeed, you ask him for small acts of leadership. And let me just give you a practical illustration of this. This could be so simple as if you have kids in your home, you go to your husband, and I stole this idea from Matt Chandler, but you go to your husband and you say something like, if, if I have all the, the kids bathed and ready for bed and I gather them together, would you read us a story from the Bible? Husbands, who among us would refuse at that point? You're setting your husband up to succeed and you're serving him well by putting him into a position of leadership. And any of us men in this room, any of us husbands should at that point say, absolutely. In fact, let me help you with the kids. I'll end with this statement. And I'm going to end the the next next sermon with this statement as well. Marriage is more for God than it is for you. We, we come into marriage, maybe this is one of those expectations, we come into marriage and we think that, oh, marriage is about me, it's going to complete me, it's going to make me whole, I'm finally finding this person. But marriage is more for God than it is for you. The only way that you'll be able to live out your God-given role, whether you are called to submit to your husband or whether you are called to love your wife, the only way you're going to be able to live out this God-given role is by getting this principle that marriage is more for God than it is for you. Verse 32 says, this mystery is profound and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. As we read through this section, 22 through 33, as is used seven times in these 12 verses. As Christ. As Christ. Over and over again, we're called to submit or to love as 
in these instances. And what this means for us is that, wives, when you fulfill your role that God has given to you, you are giving a picture of the church to one another and to the world. You are giving this picture that the church follows Christ because He is worthy to be followed. Husbands, you give a picture when you love your wives as Christ loved the church, you give a picture of Christ. You don't wait till she's lovely to love her. You don't love her the way you want to be loved. You love her by laying down your life in a sacrificial way. By wanting to nurture her and wash her and make her pure so that you might present her to Christ one day. Christ in the church speaks and he informs Christians about marriage. And Christians in their marriages speak and inform non-Christians about Christ in the church. See, your marriage is not primarily for your fulfillment and your enjoyment. It is primarily speaking of this greater story of how Christ loved the church and the church submits to Him. This is the greater story. So these are the words that I would give to the wives today. As I said in the beginning, don't get mad, don't check out. If you have questions, I'm I'm here. I'd love to talk these things through. I hope I didn't misconvey anything or, 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 or speak in a way that maybe communicated something I did not mean. But in two weeks, I'll come back and I'm going to preach the second half of this sermon and we're going to deal with, with husbands. Now, let me just say, husbands, you better be here. Don't take this as a warning and say, two weeks, I'm going fishing. Right? Be here. Our families desperately need this. Let me give you some application. Number one, wives, don't sabotage your husband by refusing to submit to his leadership or by constantly tearing him down. Husbands, don't abdicate your responsibility. So those two words in mind, sabotage and abdicate. Don't sabotage him. Don't abdicate your responsibility. We will deal with with what that all means in in a couple of weeks. If, If today there was... Perhaps, wives in a room, perhaps, maybe, this feeling of guilt and this conviction on your life, it is not a permanent failure for you. It is an opportunity for you to to confess that to God and to say, God, in this area, in my marriage, in how I'm supposed to love my husband by submitting to him, I have been sinful and I I have disobeyed his command and confess that to God. Then, Confess that to your husband. And you may be thinking, I'm not telling him that. (laughs) If I tell him that, man, I'll never hear the end of that. You will never move past this until you do. Confess this to your husband. Ask him to forgive you and ask him to help you to move forward. And then what I would ask you to do is perhaps maybe husbands and wives come to this altar together, come and kneel across these steps and pray together for your marriage. If we have husbands and wives that come and kneel across this front, I'm not telling you you have to, but I would love for you to do that. Come and pray together. Perhaps maybe you're engaged and you'd like to do the same thing and pray for that. Perhaps maybe that's in the future one day. Come and pray for that. Maybe there's children in the room and you may see your mom and dad come and kneel here and begin to pray.
Perhaps you might want to just write where you are or come to them behind them and just pray for their marriage as well. And just lift your mom and dad to the Lord. Maybe you're in this room and you are single and there is no, no one on the horizon for you and you, you hope one day. I would challenge you to use this as an opportunity to pray for that person in the future. To pray, not, not because you need that person, but because this is a desire of your heart and you're saying, God, if this is what you have for me, Lord, I want to pray for him or her right now. And I just want to ask you, Lord, and you fill in the blanks and you pray. I think this is a wonderful opportunity for us to fall on our faces before God, admit our sin and our struggle, and then ask Him to not only forgive, but to heal and to make us what we ought to be. Let's pray together. This time of teaching is brought to you by Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com.